We are at the last installment of our Jesus Is series, and we're going to move on to, uh, to a new little mini-series coming up here, but we've been talking about Jesus Is, and these are the I Am statements of Jesus, the things that Jesus taught about himself, where he said, I am, and then explained it. And today we're talking about where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the I am is I am the way, the truth, and the life. I got to confess something to you. I am becoming all in. I try to be normal. I really do. I try to be normal. I try to be just like well-respected in our community. I try to engage with people with intelligent dialogue about the world and the way things function in our world. I try to be funny. I try to be somewhat relevant and, and uh, not just be a nerd and obnoxious to people. I'm trying to be somewhat normal and to get along in our world, but I'm finding that I am all in with the Jesus thing. Like I can't be so normal that I don't recognize that Jesus is becoming everything to me. Ben flopped down in my office earlier in the week and he said to me something along the same lines. He said, you know, here's what I'm finding. I don't know how I can spend time hanging and talking with people without in the end it's somehow ending up turning to Jesus. It's not because he felt compelled that he should talk about Jesus. It's that when you start hanging around Jesus, when you start investing your life in Jesus, your whole world becomes about Jesus. See, the world becomes about Jesus. It becomes the end of every conversation. It becomes the answer to every question. I can't even, I can't even talk sports anymore without it being about Jesus. I mean, like, you know, I, we want to talk sports. I want to tell you about the fan that I am, of why I'm a fan of certain teams, because certain people, certain players on it, are living out Jesus kinds of stuff, whether they're Jesus followers or they're on their way to being Jesus followers and don't know it, or they're an example of being Jesus, like the Kansas City Royals. we got some talking to do. Were you guys here when Ben bet me 50 bucks? The Giants were going to go further than the Royals in the playoffs. 50 bucks coming my way is all i got to say. But I got on board with the Royals because they were underdogs because even though they've played well the last couple years, people like Ben think, who, what, are they, this is Ben's words, are they even a major league baseball team? I'm like, that's it. God uses the underdogs to shame the wise. That's what happens. I can't even talk sports. I want to talk about, I've always been a lifelong A's fan because they're crazy underdogs. But now I'm a Giants fan. And why? Because Jeremy Affelt, I met Jeremy Affelt and he loves Jesus. And he talked to my son about Jesus. I'm like, that's it. I'm a Giants fan. Jeremy Affelt retired last week. That's totally cool. I'm a Giants fan for life because of him. I can't even make that not about Jesus. I go off for a run. That for me is about the beauty the thankfulness of where God's put me and he's provided that opportunity, I see Jesus literally, listen to me, listen to me. I see Jesus in the trees and the wind and the animals and the water. Come on now. Like I'm getting out of control. I can't be normal anymore. I mean, taking care of my body is about Jesus. Being out on a run in the first place is about Jesus. It's not like, oh, I want to look like a stud. First of all, uh, never going to happen. Second of all, it's because I literally go out there and I feel the pleasure of my Heavenly Father who's like, dude, listen, you're adding one more day to your life because of this run right now because you're going to need to be around to lead your grandchildren to Jesus. Like, that's the interaction I have with them. You're like, just go for a run. What's your deal? It's about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. I'm getting out of control. I'm all in on this. He's the end of every conversation. He's the answer to every question. 
And this is the context of this text this morning that we have from John chapter 14, is that Jesus becomes the end of the answer to, their conver- to their, this uh, question that they're asking, this conversation that they're having. It's, he's, Jesus is having a dialogue with his disciples. It's the last dialogue he's having with them prior to going back to the Father, and they don't know what's coming. But they have this encounter with Jesus, and spoiler alert, at the end of it, he's the answer. And so, uh, I want to look at the text. Let me just read a couple things in context. The John passage you have on the screen starts in chapter 14, verse 1, but a few verses before, at the end of chapter 13, Jesus had said to them, listen, my children, and I love that he called them my children. Listen, you guys, my babies. I'm going to be with you only a little while longer. You're going to look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I'm going to tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come. And they're like, where are you going? And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, I'm not, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you're going to follow later. Jesus is sort of tying this up and going, okay, this is where, this is all coming to an end, what we've got going on here. And he's giving them the hint about what's coming next and about eternal life. And you can't come now, but you're going to follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I want to lay down my life for you. And on and on, some conversation goes. And then finally, Jesus says to them, starting in verse 1 of chapter 14, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's starting to unfold the hope we have of eternity with the Father in heaven. He's unfolding a description of what's coming, and it's eternal life. It's the hope of every heart that there's something at the end of this, and that we'll be able to be a part of it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, now believe in me. Believe in my message. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. They're not really sure. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? And Jesus answered, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well, and from now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. The question really is, what's after this, and how do we get to be with you there What's coming here? What's the end? Is there eternity? And how do we get to be with you there? We have a lot of questions, but what's the answer? And the answer is, eternity with the Father is coming, and you get there through me. The question is, what's the end? Is there eternity? And how do we get there? And Jesus says, the answer is me. I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Jesus is the end of every conversation. He's the answer to every question. And the most important question, which is, what is all this about? Because life is short. And we're finding that out, aren't we, folks? Aren't we finding out life's short? David, me and people, me and your age, we're really finding that out. It's going quickly. What's this about? And is there this eternity in heaven? Is there an eternal destiny for me? And how do I make sure I'm a part of that? And Jesus said, I'm the answer.
plain and as simple as he could be on the answer. The dialogue is really interesting. I mean, you know, we, we have this dialogue going on in, in this thing where Jesus said, listen, we go, you know, what, in response to Jesus saying, I'm going to leave you in a little bit, and we ask that question, where, where is this headed? Are you going to just leave us, or is there something for us? And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we go, um, what does that mean? You're going to prepare a place for us. We don't know what that means. And Jesus goes, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. He's making some promise. We don't totally get what it's about. You're, you're going to come back and take, you're preparing a place, you're coming back. I don't. And Jesus goes, you know the way to make this happen, right? You know how to guarantee this is going to happen for you? You know that, right? And of course, Thomas is like, Peter had asked a question. Now Thomas has asked the question, Lord, we're so lost. How can we know the way? Like, we don't know what you're talking about exactly. Make it really clear to us. And so Jesus makes it clear and says, I'm the way. How can we know the way? Jesus goes, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And you come to the Father, but through me. That's how you come to the Father. Three teachings about Jesus, really three I am's to finish. It's a bonus. It's a three-time, it's a double bonus in our I am series. It's three things Jesus says about himself. One, he says, I am the way. I'm the way. Uh, as part of the answer to our deepest question, our most eternal question, Jesus says, I'm the way. This means, friends, that he is the path to eternal life. He's the pathway. He's the trail on which we go. He's the road that leads to eternal life. He made the way for us to have eternal life. He made the way. Jesus was the way. He made it possible for us to have eternal life. Jesus said, you have to understand that about me. When you're talking about eternal questions, I'm the answer. I'm the way for that. And how he made that way was that his death on the cross broke the power of sin and separation from God that we've all experienced. His death on the cross broke the power of our sin to keep us spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. Every human being is prone toward this brokenness and this sin. The scriptures teach all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sin in their lives, and it has produced a separation from God, a spiritual death. Everybody has that. And that spiritual death reigns in one's life. It's what happens because we're unholy and sinful and broken people. We're separated from God. But Jesus' death came and took the chains off, broke the power of sin to keep us separated from God, and made a way, a pathway for us to be restored into a relationship, a way to have a relationship with God, a way to be in the presence of God, this holy God where our sin kept us from him, this holy God, now because we're made holy through Jesus' death, we can go in and be in a relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? That's great news. The picture of this in the scripture is the, the curtain that is around the most holy place in the temple that God led the Israelites to build. Some of you may be familiar with this. Some of you may not be familiar with this. But the Israelites, as they were being instructed by God and instructed by Moses about how to establish this worship of Yahweh, this worship of their God, they built a, a temporary temple. They called it a tabernacle or a tent. And it was a place where, they, as they were moving around in the desert, they built this place. It was the place that they did their worship and that symbolized God dwelling with them. And inside, this is where the priests did their deal, and this is where they went to pray and all that kind of stuff. And inside this temple, or inside this temporary temple, this tabernacle, they had a holy place. So you got the big tent. 
Then you have inside that the holy place. And the holy place is the place where the priest would go and do the sacrifices and do all kinds of ritual as a way to keep engaging with God. It was an act of worship. It was an act of love for God. It was a cry for God to answer their prayer. It was a cry for God to tell them that they wanted to serve God. It was worship. It was church. And the priest would do that work in the holy place. But within the holy place was a centerpiece of it, a very small little place called the holiest place or the most holy place or the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was the place where God dwelt. It was the picture of God's very presence. This holy God was in this little center place surrounded by this big, thick fabric curtain. And inside that was only a few things. One of the things that was in that was that big chest. We call it the ark. And inside that was the Ark of the Covenant, and, and inside that chest was like the, 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 the tablets from Moses, and like Moses' staff, Moses and Aaron had that staff, that was inside that thing. But inside that holy place was the Holy of Holies, and inside the Holy of Holies was really the presence of God. And it was a terrifying place to them because they were smart enough to understand that all sin has caused us this spiritual separation from God, and he's this holy, perfect, righteous God, and we are not. And so they stayed away from that place. And there was all kinds of, and all kinds of, uh, of tradition has grown up around it and stories we, we've been told about it. But what we found out is that, that nobody could go into that place because you couldn't be in the presence of God. You were separated from God because of your unholiness. That's just the story of every human being forever. Except there was a symbol that God built into their religious life. That one day a year, just one day a year, one guy, one priest, the high priest, the high priest on the highest holy holiday of the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he would go in and he would go behind the curtain with fear and trembling, first doing all these preparations for himself, but he would go in with blood from a sacrifice and he would sprinkle it among the presence of God and pray for the mercy of God to forgive the sin and withhold his wrath against a broken and a rebellious people. And then he would get the heck out of there. And nobody could go back in for another year. There's a medieval tradition that's probably not true, but it, it arose that the, he would go in there, they'd, they'd tie bells on him and tie a, a rope to his ankle so that when he went in there and hadn't done everything right, that he got knocked dead by the holy presence of God, they'd just drag his sorry tail out with the rope. They would hear the bell go off, and oh, the dude hit the floor. It's probably not true, but I like the story. That's this picture of separation, of spiritual death, detachment from the God that we were made to know and to love. Well, here's the good news, friends. When Jesus died on the cross, this is from Matthew 27. Matthew 27, starting in verse 50. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This is the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice for us. Jesus' blood being shed for us. At the moment Jesus died, verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus, I love that picture. It was just like miraculously by the power of Jesus' death, it just went... And the Holy of Holies, the scary, most dreadful, most dramatic picture of this holy God and an unholy people for the Israelites, it was like the presence of God was ripped wide open for everybody to see and everybody to enter into. Come on. 
That's amazing, and it's terrifying. And then this text says, And the earth shook, and the rocks split, and the tombs broke open, and the, mod- the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to people. I forgot that part of the story. Come on, that'll get your attention. Because the power of death had been broken The consequences of sin, which was spiritual death and separation from God, the consequences had been removed by the sacrifice of Jesus. By the blood of the sacrifice, God's atonement had come. When Jesus said, I'm the way, he meant I've torn the curtain wide open and you come in. You can come in. The motion for me about that is that we all, rightfully so, start with this sense of shame and brokenness and terror at the thought of a holy, righteous creator God. And we know in the very fiber of our being that we do not deserve, nor should we dare to be in his presence, much less run through the torn tent curtain to be in his presence. And that's what we get to do. It's overwhelmingly good news to us. Jesus made a way to reconcile us to God and to have access forever granted to all people, no matter how shameful their life has been. That is unbelievable. Hebrews 10 talks about it. And the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, listen to this. Since we have confidence now to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. I mean, he's, just, he's writing to Hebrew believers and he's like, Can you believe that not only do we have access to God, not only do we have access to the holy place, not only do we have access to the holy place, we have access to the holy of holies, not only do we have access to the holy of holies, we have access with confidence. And the picture is like a child to the, you know, a, an important person who's doing their job, the child who gets to run up and jump into daddy's lap. Like that kind of confidence. Dear brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. It goes on later to say, and let us hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess. That's the good news. Jesus has made a way for eternal life. He broke the power of sin and of death. Okay, one more amen. Just give me one more amen about that. He's the answer to every question. The question was, God, is there, is there eternity and how do we make sure that we can go there? Is there something coming after this journey with Jesus here? Is this for real and how do we make sure we're there? And the answer is Jesus said, yes, I am the way. I'm the way. Say with me, I'm the way. I am the Second, he said, I am the truth. I'm the truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. What he means by this is that he's the truth about how all things work. He's the capital T truth. He's the true answer to all things, including how eternal life gets bestowed upon us. He's the true way. You know, remember last week about being the vine? He's the vine where the branches. Remember it said that he's the true vine. He's the 
right way, with all of the wrong ways that are out there, with all of the confusion, with all of the things that we can get lost in, he's the true way to God. There's a lot of false ways out there. There's a lot of ways for us to dabble in being spiritual. There's a lot of ways for us to um, engage the spiritual side of our life. There's a lot of ways for us to be distracted about how we can live out our spiritual journey. Tons of ways. But Jesus said, I'm the true way. I'm the answer. I'm the answer to this question. I'm the answer to this conversation. I'm the true way. John 1, 14, John writes about Jesus. The word became flesh. God himself, this living word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God himself became a human being and moved into the neighborhood. He came to be with us. This is called the incarnation. God came and he says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Listen to these words, full of grace and truth. We've seen the father, we've seen the glory, uh, this glorious son who came from the father, the incarnation, the exact representation of God's being, Colossians teaches us. And he's This is what we've seen. He's full of grace. He made a way. He's full of truth. He's the true way to God. He's the real deal. He's the truth about God and how we're rescued. He's the truth about the world. He's the truth about our sin. He's the truth about our spiritual death. He's the truth of it all. He's the picture of it. That's why in verse 7 of our text... Jesus said, if you really know me, you knew me, you'd know my father as well. From now on, you do know him. You've seen him. I'm God revealed to you. I'm the truth about what is. I forgot to ask you on the last point, you know, if he's the way, have you submitted yourself to the way? Have you gone through the way that he made? Have you gone through the curtain into the presence of the most holy place? Have you received the gift of access to the Father and said, yes, thank you, Jesus, for tearing open the curtain. I'm going in. Have you done that? Every human being is faced with that choice and that decision because Jesus is the answer and he is the way. And he's the truth, the true way. Have you said yes to that decision? And submitted yourself to that truth that he has made the way and now your life is given over to him because he has rescued you from death. That's becoming a Christian and everybody needs to come to the place of decision at some point on that position, on that decision. Have you submitted your life to live in his truth, under his truth? Have you gone on the way? By the way, he's not just the truth about God, about how eternal life. He's the way about how things work now. He's the truth about life now. He's the truth about how life's supposed to be lived. He's the truth about the meaning of life. He's the truth about who we are. He's the truth about what your runs are like and what your work is like and what your parenting is like. He's the truth about all of those things. He's the truth about the world. And so what happens is we take captive every thought, the scripture says, and we make it obedient to Christ. We live in the truth. We take all the way we look at the world, we take captive every thought, we take all of our perspectives, and we make it obedient to Jesus. You know what I mean? We, we, you know what I mean? Like I made it up. That's the word of God. Do you, 
We take captive every thought and we put it underneath the truth of Jesus and make it submit to the truth of Jesus. So we don't look at our marriage in a human way. We look at the way God looks at marriage and wants to give us his plan and his presence and his power in that marriage. We don't look at parenting in a human way or the way everybody else is or the way the latest book we read tells us. We look at parenting the way Jesus talks about it and what it would be like if Jesus was engaged in this because he's the truth about how to live. And same with work. That's why I'm pushing that solutions class. Work, you work as your calling. That's how you're supposed to be living with Jesus in the picture. So we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. He leads us in the truth. And so we no longer sort of live in the fog of, I wonder what's right, not just about eternity, but about my day and my life and my season and my choices. We don't live in the fog of that, nor do we live in the lies that we've told ourselves, or worse, the lies that the world will tell us about what's true and how to live. We submit ourselves to him. He's the end of the conversation and the answer to every question. He's the way. Have you walked in it? He's the truth. Have you submitted yourself to him being the answer? And third, Jesus said about himself, I'm the life. I'm the way and the truth and the life. This means that he's the life-giving power that resurrects us from the place of spiritual death. He brings resurrection power to our spiritual death. He raises us from death to life. He's the solution to our inability to raise ourselves from spiritual death. You've got, you got to read the, the, this being raised words. Ephesians, this is the greatest, this is the greatest passage. Got to, I just, okay, this is my favorite passage today. I just decided that. That's my favorite passage. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's everybody's story. Spiritually dead, separated from God. That's what that means. In your transgressions and in your sins, in which you used to live, in which you, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those that are disobedient, when you lived according to the lies of the world, the enemy had his way, you didn't know the truth, you were just living the way everybody else was living and you were dead. You were dead spiritually, you're separated from God. That's everybody's story. It's the whole world. Okay, never mind. We, how, how do we not believe that that's true when you look at the world, by the way? We're lost. We're dead. We're separated from God. He goes on to say, all of us lived among them at one time, those, the way everybody else lives, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. By nature. By nature, we're going to be sinful, broken people, objects of God's judgment without forgiveness, right? Separated from God, unholy. By nature, we're objects of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, he didn't leave us there. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, talk all you want about God's wrath, but that is not the end of the story. God's wrath is about his justice and about him being true to himself and about his holiness. But in the end, because of his great love for us, God, who, by the way, is rich in mercy, put that in your pipe and smoke it, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. There's this life. I am the life. He made us alive in Christ. We were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God so that no one can boast. This is good news. He is the life Colossians says it this way, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning you had not been redeemed by God, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It stood against us and it condemned us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, wait, listen to that phrase, He disarmed the powers and the authorities. What does that mean? The evil influence of the world to get us to live separated from God. He disarmed the powers that stood against us and kept us dead and lost and confused and in chains. Having disarmed the powers of authorities more, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you, Todd. Clapping for Jesus. Have you, through faith in Christ, died to yourself and received his life? He made a way. Have you walked into it? He's the truth. Have you submitted yourself to that's what life is about and what eternity is about? And have you given your life to him to receive his life for you? By the way, that's not just about eternity. That is about now. He is the life source from God now. That's what we talked about last week. He's the true vine, and we are the branches, and we remain connected to him, and life comes, and fruit comes, and life comes, and joy comes, and wine is made. The joy is made from God's presence and God's life. That's now, and so we stay connected to him. Did you remember that last week? to remain connected to him. That's where you live. Connected to him for his life. The question really is, what's after this? Is there eternity? Is the hope and the longing of eternity with God, a relationship restored to God, is that possible? And the answer is yes, through Jesus. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And to make it then really clear, he says, and to sum it up, no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm making it clear. Jesus, friends, is the answer. He's the answer. To every question, he's the end of every conversation. He's the answer to how do we get reconciled to God and live with him now and forever. He's the answer. Jesus did, God didn't make that happen through Jesus to be narrow and really hoping that some people find it and too bad for those that didn't. He didn't do it to be narrow and difficult. He did it to be crystal clear and simple. And at the end of our teaching on Jesus for seven weeks, I'm reminding you that Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Have you received him, church? And it leads us to the table. So I'm going to go down to the table. I want the band to come on because they're going to lead us in worship. But we come to the table of the Lord. We do it monthly. Some traditions do it weekly. And the reason is because they come and remind themselves regularly, church, he's the answer. He is the answer. 
We're come to, this is a table of remembrance. When we come and we meet Jesus at the table, remembering what he has done. There's these things we call the words of institution. It's out of 1 Corinthians. It's where Paul was talking about this experience that Christians back then were doing, that they would gather together for a ceremonial meal of breaking bread and drinking the cup and remembering that Jesus is the answer. He says this, he goes, this is what I received from the disciples that Jesus had had done, and he goes, I'm going to pass it along to you. And when they were together, it was in this discourse that we just preached about. It was when they were talking about all those things. They had gotten together for a last supper, a last meal. And when they were together after supper, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. It's interesting that the, the tearing of the bread was probably a nod to the, what was going to happen, that the curtain would be torn from top to bottom. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, it says, this is where after, after the bread meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, do you remember what he said? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You, you, you re- remember that Jesus died for us to make a way. That Jesus' death is the truth about how to be in a relationship with the Father forever. That Jesus' death broke the power of our chains, our sin, and he has brought life. So we proclaim that truth. We remember it when we're together. We remember it, and we celebrate it, and we proclaim it. This is why we do this, church. He's the answer. And in a minute, we're going to come to the table as we do. We get up and we move out of our chairs as a way to physically say, that's me, God. You've died for me. I'm receiving that. I live in this truth. This is, I'm out of control. This is me. I'm all in. And so we come to the tables here. There's tables in the back. It becomes a family chaotic moment. You bump into people you don't know. You get out of your comfort zone and you come meet the Lord. Bread and a cup. I'm going to add one element to it this morning. As we, in just a moment, are going to stand and worship and come to the table, and you're going to have some time to do this. We have a few minutes to worship and enjoy God's presence. So you come when you're ready. Usually, Jesus hosts the table, the tables. But you, I'm going to ask you this. Today may be the first time. You may be like the disciples. You've been listening. You've been hearing the teaching. You've been coming just a few weeks, a couple months. Maybe it's a search. It's been a couple years. But this is the first time that you've thought, I didn't know the way was open. I didn't know I was free to walk in. I didn't understand that he is the way and the truth and the life, and I need the power of sin and separation broken. Yes, I received that gift. If, you, if that's you and in a room this size, there's somebody here, that's you. And you're like, I'm, this, today is my day. I'm going to say yes to the gift of Jesus' way and truth and life. That's, if you want to become a Christian today, that's what that is. I'm going to ask you to do a really bold thing. I'm going to ask you to come up here to this table at the center and mark that with a powerful, I'm making that decision. And I'm going to serve you the Lord's table. Maybe that you've 
been around a long time. But frankly, today, you're like, I've never understood this until now. Like, I've been religious, I've been a churchgoer, off and on-ish, christian E. I don't think I ever got that. I don't know that I've ever made my way into the holy of holies and said yes to his salvation and his life-giving power. Listen, I don't care how long you've been here or how religious your spouse thinks you are. Today should be your day if you're ready to give your life to Christ. I want you to come here too. You're brand new. You're ready. Come. You've been around a long time, but you realize, I've got to be honest, I don't think I've ever really understood that. And I'm settling the issue today. And ready for a third one? You made this decision a long time ago, but you've run far from him. I, I'll never get past God's mercy just making me so emotional. You've gone, you've gone so far away. You, can, you, you feel like you've spit in the face of a merciful God already. And maybe many times. And you can't imagine that he means you anymore. You can't imagine that the way is open for you. Today, he's the answer. You come home. You come home. I don't care how far you've been. I don't care what you're involved in. I don't care what level of shame you have. You come home. Come up here. For the rest of us, we experience the joy of our regular engagement with the good news and the reminder that he's given us his life. He's the truth, and he's the way. And we worship him by coming and remembering and celebrating that at the table. Let's stand together. Come when you're ready. And if you need to come to this table, come and let me serve you.